Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and this is episode 95. Today I am joined by Ashley. What up, Ashley? How you been? Hey, pretty good. Same as uh, last time because nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, right. We're all trapped in amber forever, <laughs> it seems like. Anyway, um... And we are also joined by Richie Buzzkill. What up, Richie Buzzkill? Oh man, so so much. I got you know, I got stuff to talk about. Maybe we'll see. What? <laughs> wow, oh, good. Look at this guy. Look at this guy bringing the heavy lumber. And then uh, you know, we can't do the show without an Adam. But uh, Adam <laughs> Sink, Adam Sink's off being amorous tonight. So uh, today we are joined by a very special guest. From uh, one of my favorite local podcasts, uh, The Wrecking Crew, we have Adam Maxwell. What up, Adam? How you been? Um, I can uh, suffice to say everyone should wear their goddamn masks. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's how I'm doing as, as the Rona has fallen upon my house. Oh, mm-hmm. my God, dude. We're really sorry to hear that, you know? And so... If you're out there in fucking podcast land and you're like harboring some sort of strange idea that this is not real shit, this is real shit, bro. So get mm-hmm. get with it and fucking wear your goddamn mask and be real, right? You know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, the, there really is no there is no uh, better thing you can do for yourself and for society right now than to stay at home. I understand people have jobs that they got to go to and you got to go to the store to get food and shit. But like, but seriously, jump on Discord, get some gaming with your friends, save people's lives. One of them may be your own. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is real shit. Real shit, everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that we've gotten all that fucking morbidity out of the way, uh, this is, as I said, episode 95. And we have the return of our political our games in politics uh, discussion, our ongoing discussion. This is part part three, am I right, RBK? Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. nice, nice. And today we are going to be kind of doing a little uh, uh, talk about horror gaming and its uh, relative value inside of our society. And uh, we're going to kind of break that apart a little bit. Um, I, think, I think that what I called this one is, Can Horror Role-Playing Be Redeemed? Which sort of, you know, is a loaded question, is it not? I mean, it sort of, you know, is predicated on the notion that it needs to be redeemed. But we'll kind of explore that a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get started, uh, Adam, do you want to, like, just real quick, like, introduce yourself to the uh, listeners? Um, they, they've met they've met some of the other uh, Wrecking Crew cast, but nobody's met you at this point. We're really happy to have you on at last. Well, I'm really happy to be on. It's been a while since I've done any recording. Um uh, yeah, I'm part of the demo team. I don't do the cons nearly as much, so uh, people would not see have seen me um, as much as they see my brother or uh, Dave the Legend. Um, but I've been gaming since, shoot, I was probably seven or eight and trying to tag along with my brother because um, he would have his friends over. And I was a typical little brother that was like super interested in everything he wanted to do. And I've just kind of gone my way. I cut my teeth. My very first role-playing game, which I still have, 
was uh, TMNT and Other Strangeness by Palladium. Nice. And I, yeah, awesome. I, I still have my first edition book, and I literally have every book in the series, including all the After the Bomb stuff. Oh, uh, nice. Uh, yeah. That's, that's mint. That's mint, bro. Oh, yeah. I got some of the really crazy stuff like uh, Turtles Go Hollywood and Trucking Turtles and stuff like that. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I'm, very, I'm very proud of that collection. It's it's one of the things that I've never allowed to be boxed up. It has to still stay proudly displayed on my bookcase. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm one of those guys that I'm kind of down to play whatever games. Um, I'm really not as much into fantasy gaming, um, so I don't know as much about fantasy games because it's just... It's just not my joint. I like modern and sci-fi stuff more. But um, in kind of keeping with the trend, I joined the Wrecking Crew after my brother joined. And he was bugging me for like a year to start playing. And yeah, I just kind of joined and have gone from there. So, I mean, you can catch, you know, me and all the other Wrecking Crew uh, in pretty much all the play, you know, play testing section of all the books for White Wolf, Onyx Path, whatever the hell you want to call it at any any point but all the main books were were in all of them as the official playtesters you're the one you're the one <laughs> next time i see you i'm just you're just gonna be like fisticuffs no i'm kidding um yeah. You, yeah. You, you you are a consummate collector and uh like old school listeners will remember an episode i'm pretty sure where i was gushing about uh stormbringer collection that i came into in the in the faraway days i think of like crit hit two maybe or something and uh, um I, I think that was crit hit one dude wow man okay i'm feeling old now and uh that was that was adam that, that juiced me up with that sick ass stormbringer collection so adam's been a friend of the show for a long time and we're really really happy to have you on man welcome and we, and we hope that you are well and that you stay well, well um, I'm, good. I'm good and I, I really appreciate that thanks so much for having me you guys of course, of course. All right, so uh, we'll start with like a little black hole. You know, the black hole is the is the ever sucking well that draws away all of our uh, money and time and attention. It's role playing, and uh, what have we been doing? Uh, let's get let's go ahead and get started with uh, our, our our guest, man. Adam, tell us what you've been up to recently. You you, you had a chance to play anything, or have you been uh, obsessing over anything? Um, believe it or not, your the game you put out the Der Duncan. I can't say the first word. <laughs> De Dunkle Elfin Chronicon. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I got a copy of that, and I've been reading it, and you're I've, blowing me I, away, man. You're blowing my mind. Uh, no joke. Well, no, I, I I saw your thing about it uh, when you first posted it for your your uh, your itch.io, and I was like, huh, I'll go check it out. And you know, I paid my ten bucks and was like cool I, yeah i like it and i just started toying around with it even though it's a fantasy game and that's not normally my joint um yeah i've written an adventure for it um with a very poor grasping of the rules um which is probably far more epic than in my head than it actually is on paper but i mean eventually i'll get around to playing it but most of my time has been just taken up with work and obviously dealing with the Rona in my house. So that's, that's been my black hole is, is disease. Oh, well, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Those are the times in which we live folks. Well, dude, I gotta say, I didn't know that you uh, sprung for it. You know, I see all the names, see all the emails of the people who, who kick in for it. I really yeah. appreciate you. Um, 
you uh you uh springing for it dude that's like so fucking cool of you man um well, I, I wasn't gonna take something for free that's just kind of a dick move <laughs> well I mean, it is I, up, it's up there I, for free if people want to take it I, I i would i want people to play with it so um it dude it, like i can't tell you how how crazy it is to experience somebody saying that they not only have read the game, but they like wrote an adventure for it and they're going to run it. I'm just like, what? Like, that blows my mind. Thank you, dude. That's like, that's, that's really huge. That's really huge. I appreciate you, man. Hey, no problem. I, yeah, I, I like it. It, it seems simple. And I, I really like the concept of playing the dark elves. I, I, I enjoy the notion of playing, you know, not necessarily the bad guys, but the bad guys. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was a good take on a game. So I really liked it. Oh, dude, awesome! Thank you so much. Wow, that's uh, that's crazy. I feel like I probably don't even need to do one now because it's like <laughs> Jesus. That's that's that that was that was uh, that was unexpected. Thank you, man. Uh, uh, Richard, what are you, what have you been up to, bro? What do you got? Well, I got like, kind of two sections. I've got. Uh, I'll go quickly through. I've got three Kickstarters who have come in in the last couple weeks. And I got the Curse of the House of Rookwood. I got oh, yeah. and and the the interior, the art, everything. The le- the the summation of the these three games that I'm going to talk about is like you got to step up if you're going to be publishing layout and art. You got to step up because like Morkborg is like a whole nother level. Morkborg is Borg is another level, but like everybody is like doing the right kind of art in the right kind of layout. And so I got the curse of the house of Rookwood. I got moon punk. And then I got seekers beyond the shroud from our oh, good friends over great. at black oath. And, uh, uh, was that physical? Was that a physical? Physic- copy? I got a physical copy of it and it's, uh, oh, it looks nice. really, the art is really, it's really well, well laid out. Of course I haven't had time to play it, but the, the art's really good. The layout's good. Like, it's like for a, a solo RPG, like where, you know, it's, it, it really, uh, it's really, really cool. So those are kind of been the Kickstarters that have landed. Uh, and then uh, I got, we finished my chapter and we'll get to why it's called my chapter of the uh, <laughs> hit the streets, defend the block here in a minute. But uh, so we, we kind of completed the story arc and uh, we kind of, uh, the robots had broken loose into the neighborhood and, uh, uh, the, the, the heroes, uh, you know, won the day, uh, but were the credit was given to the rivals, the all American Knights. So that's kind of the summation of the end of that story. Uh, but they all had, uh, interesting endings. Um, I'll let anybody wants to talk about that. They can talk about that. Uh, but well, I, I thought that was really fun. I thought what you did was really fun where everybody got to mm-hmm. go around and do an epilogue for their character because it, it really put a bow on the whole thing and yeah. it let ever it let us do some collaborative storytelling that like allowed us to inject like the flavor of our characters like into it a little bit. And, uh, it just, it felt right for a game that I think we were all like a little bit frustrated with how it ran, not because of the way you ran it, because of the way the system worked and we were right. all kind of like, it, there were times when it felt like we, uh, your, the gears on your bicycle were grinding a little bit. The end of it was very, very potent. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Except I, also, fuck the All-American Knights. That's all I said. <laughs> 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 um, 
yeah, I I think I like the concept of this game so so much, and I think there's a couple of tweaks you could do to the game to make it. I feel like it comes from a very particular play culture that of the gauntlet where you're you're looking at some very specific uh, player t- players that will like to push certain buttons in their story always. So like, yeah. So I I think that 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 so basically my problem is it wasn't until the end of the game that I was able to uh, really push people till the, to the edge to where they were going to start needing these extra moves. Uh, so they were running out of hit points spark, which is not really hit points, but it's your hit points and how much enthusiasm you have, how many fucks you have to give mm-hmm. and uh, which is where it came from in the other the system. But there's like moves you do that I don't really think fit in the type of story I want to tell. Like you're, you're supposed to go do charity at, to yeah. refresh yourself. And I get that. And that's cool, but that's not a noir move. That's not a mm-hmm. comic book move. That's a, like a very specific kind of idea. Yeah. I mean, that almost kind of like links back to what we were talking about last time with the way that the sex move in Apocalypse mm-hmm. World is this kind of off note and it's kind of jarring and it doesn't kind of mash up well with the subgenre that it's in. Because, I mean, you could probably, over the course of like however many issues of fucking Spider Man, there have been like 900 or something, right? There's probably a few times when like Peter Parker goes to the food bank or something, but that kind of like very socially conscious role playing where, and, and, and the thing is, is Fullmetal RPG tries to push socially conscious role playing. We're all about that, but they want it to be like in the game. Like, 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 like that's something that you do in the game. Like you, like you like give up your seat for like an old lady or something. You know what I'm saying? And that needs yeah. to be like a thing that happens in game. And, uh, I, I just, I think you're really right, dude. That Like the, the uh, gauntlet has kind of become almost sort of like a writer's group where people are no longer writing to take their work outside of the group. They're writing for the group. And so, so you, there were just things about that game that I found befuddling. I was like, I just, I just don't know how this is supposed to work. I can see how it can work, but you basically have to like, and there's a thing I don't like to do with, a, with any a. Uh, powered by the apocalypse game is you basically have to put the moves right in front of the players mm-hmm. and like they have to intentionally be wanting to push the button right where I want the story the fiction to drive those yeah. buttons being pushed right and exactly and, and that that's kind of my uh I mean I like the idea I like the concept the the layout's really good I think to me, the base mechanic, it's too easy to succeed. So I had to keep pushing Way up. Way too the, easy. I had to keep yeah. pushing the difficulty up and up and up. And I was like, well, at this point, why would you... There's there's no rolling. I, I It was almost like there should be no rolling until it's impossible. And, and even then, you're like, well, they'll figure out a way to describe it so they can use their superpower and I'm like well okay that's yeah I, i'm cool yeah. with that like that's cool that because that's super power sure. stuff but like i i want it to be like oh you know if you have to fail a role that you're really good at you're not going to fail very often <laughs> for the system mm-hmm. to work so right 
and when you have a 50-50 chance to to on every die to get a success it's like having you know five plus on every roll in world of darkness it just doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. it interesting um yeah yeah so that's i i love the this idea and i would probably run it in a lot of other systems and probably do pretty well but mm-hmm. speaking of which ashley what what do you what's uh what have you been up to well, I was also in your hit the streets game and um it was it was awesome and I, I a lot of what you said I agree with. Um the um the charity thing. It's when you're a superhero, isn't that you doing charity? Like you're going out and doing good things, you know what I mean? So it's kind yeah. of like you are doing that thing. So it's like just us being superheroes, you would think that would fit that. But like we only got to use that mechanic once when uh Adam was working on at the hotline, right? The suicide hotline, yeah. Which yeah. his character had already been fictionally placed at, so I was like, well, that's easy because right. uh, Wraith, his character, was the first person, to, first character to get to like what you know, basically mm-hmm. to Spark, and yeah, we played for what five or six sessions. I cannot remember right at the moment, but. It was five or six, yeah. Yeah, so like it took that many sessions to get to the point where you weren't, uh, yeah, you weren't. Everybody was on the edge at the very end, which I actually like because yeah. that's that's when you should be on that the edge. That worked out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that worked out really well because at the end I had you know two fucks left to give. So out of the ten that I started with or whatever, so it it that that part worked out really well. That was good timing. Um, so yeah, it was really good. You did a really good job on that, Richard. It was a lot Thank of fun. You. Um. I am going to be picking it up next week and we're going to be running the same world in tiny supers. So we're going to keep our same characters. Obviously my character's not going to be there because I'm going to be running it. Um, Brendan's is off living on the beach somewhere. So <laughs> yeah, I got to make a new character, character, but I already know what I want to play. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. <laughs> Cause I was yeah. like, just the description of that character made me like, <laughs> 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 like slime Lord. So, yeah, but uh, so we're going to be running at Tiny D6, so Tiny Supers, and we're just going to keep rolling through that world and see how that goes. So that'll be a lot of fun. I like the idea of each of us running it for a while using, you know, system of our choice. So that'll be fun to work through. I'm interested in seeing how Tiny <clears throat> Supers goes. I'm interested in comparing, mm-hmm. contrasting, and seeing which one I like best. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Cool. Um, yeah, I did that. I did Adam's Vampire Game. Um that was cool. Uh, Pathfinder I, 2, we're still trying to get together. Pardon, Brendan? No, nothing. I was going to say Adam Sink's Vampire Game. Adam Sink's Vampire Game. Yes, yes, yes. This Adam, actually, Adam, I have never met you, so it is very nice to electronically <laughs> meet you, finally. I've heard a lot about you. <laughs> Likewise. Yes. So, yeah, but not this Adam's Vampire Game. Different one. Um, yeah, getting Pathfinder 2 ready to go. Um Mamre Alpha is still rolling, so I've still got quite a bit of games on Roll20 and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I actually did not spend any money on gaming since the last time we recorded. Shame on you. I'm proud of myself a little. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you yeah. should be. Uh, you should be. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very good. 
That's very good. Uh, well, you know, I feel like uh, uh, Adam already kind of like, you know, made my dreams come true for talking about like uh, uh, the Dunkle Elf and Kronikin. And, uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and pass on the black hole. I mean, that's basically what consumes my life. I've been buying up some other like little OSR games and, and reading them and kind of picking some stuff apart because I have some ideas for some upcoming releases. But uh, if you uh, are interested in those upcoming releases, go ahead and check out at uh, uh, Man Books on Instagram. Um, but that's, that's really all I'll say about that. And then we'll kind of just move right along. And I would like to just really quickly thank before we go any further, our, uh, patrons on Patreon. Uh, this episode, episode 95 is dedicated to Mateus Fredrickson. Uh, he is our newest patron, but he is also a uh, part of the creative team that creates, uh, red moon role playing. And uh, they've been on to talk about horror gaming, and they do just, like, just cutting-edge stuff, uh, really high production value, super, super immersive, very, very horrifying. Uh, we love Red Moon role-playing, and uh, we're very, very happy to have Mateus on, um, uh, kind of, like, you know, feeding back into the, uh, the community and just, and just keeping that cycle going of, um, of uh, all podcasts, horror podcasts, role-playing podcasts, supporting one another. Um, it bears mentioning that uh, Red Moon Role-Playing is up for an Emmy right now. So if uh, you're in the Emmy voting mood and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'd love to um, fucking vote for my favorite uh, fucking podcast. And then I go, oh, uh, Full Mill RPG isn't on the list again this year because we never enter ourselves. Ha <laughs> ha, lol. And then you go, well, you weren't my favorite podcast anyway. I wanted to vote for Red Moon Role-Playing. Well, I just reminded you. So go the fuck on there and just check the little box. Uh, you know, these things are a big deal in our small little corner of the world. And, uh, you know, they go a, a long way. So, uh, you know, Red Moon Roleplaying does really great work. So thank you to Red Moon Roleplaying. Thank you to Mateus. And thank you to every single one of our uh, Patreon cult. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. So... Do we want to get into this horror shit, everybody? What do you think? What do you think? You guys want to talk about horror shit? Yeah, let's do it. Yes. Great. Okay, well, um, so, you know, we're kind of exploring how uh, gaming, the process of gaming is intrinsically political, and how essentially, like, the kind of, like, art that we create and the dreams that we have for ourselves and for our society manifest in the shared spaces of our imaginations. And uh, we're kind of exploring that, like how these things like um, translate across genres. And we've already talked a little bit about where we're all personally coming from. Uh, and I think that you guys know that like I'm very hard left. Uh, Ashley is kind of like a, a, a hippie character as she described <laughs> herself. Richard's more of our kind of like practical, like rightist kind of uncle, right? <laughs> not not the racist <laughs> uncle. Let's just <laughs> Yeah, did I say, what, you said, what did right, I say? You said rightist. Rightist uncle. Anyway. There's no racists on this show, everybody. If I <laughs> nope. if, if I ever caught wind that there was a racist on this show, they wouldn't be on it anymore. That's just nope. my little that's just all I have to say. And if somebody catches me saying something racist, then please educate me because I want to change myself. And exactly. always, always be getting better and better. Um Adam, how would you describe yourself politically? Where are you coming from? <laughs> Um, 
the term I use for everybody is a social libertarian. Um, so I'm left-leaning in terms of social programs. Um, I think everybody deserves a safety net because um, there's just shit you cannot plan for, no matter how responsible a human being that you are. Um, and, you know, so I'm for things like, uh, for example, um, I'm for nationalized health care. I think that'd be great. Call it selfish because I'm diabetic, but, you know, I think that we're the best country in the world and there's no reason we shouldn't have things like nationalized health care. On the same boat, I mean, I think that there's a certain amount of responsibility people have to take for themselves. So I wouldn't call myself a bleeding heart leftist or anything like that. And I'm certainly not a conservative. Um, I, I, I'm kind of a centrist with left leanings. Interesting. It's uh, it's uh, strange days because I mean, I you know, if if uh, if it was a different time, if it was a more genteel time, I'd say like let's go out and like you know talk about this over some drinks. Um, I won't you know because because things are no you know the kind of the world of like oh well there's the red guys and there's the blue guys and that's you know that well, that world is over and now it's much more you know every every our uh, our beliefs are much more sophisticated and much more nuanced. Um, I think we have a responsibility to have nuanced beliefs at this time. Um, and so we've already kind of gone through some fantasy stuff. We talked about fantasy last time we talked about this stuff. And today we're getting into horror. And I, I think that uh, the reason why my initial contention about horror as a genre needing to be redeemed is because as a genre, horror is so... Um, it's so basically schlocky, right? And it um, it trades on a lot of exploitative tropes as um, just kind of bread and butter. And it becomes almost kind of like an exploitation genre. Now, there may be people out there in podcast land that are like screaming at me right now. And that's cool. Uh, we're going to unpack this. And I kind of, and if there's something I miss here or something more that you guys want to unpack, then please, by all means, get at me in the Instagram. But I think that, I think that horror, and this is just kind of where I'm, and this is just where I'm coming from. I think that horror, uh, it has a salaciousness to it. It has a, um, there's a, there's a, there's an undercurrent of eroticism in it that um, has has made uh, our society, which when you look at kind of the early horror works, they kind of came out of a recovering Victorian, recovering Puritan society, right? And um, and they rebelled against the kind of latent eroticism of horror by pushing it into an area where uh, it's essentially kind of like with other exploitative fictions. And exploitative fictions trade on kind of like tropes, okay? Um, I mean, horror is about addressing what you're afraid of. And if you're writing on a crunch and on a budget, right, then it's really easy to summon up like a bunch of kind of deeply bigoted imagery of the other, right? And to kind of be like, well, this is really what you're afraid of, right? You're, you're afraid of this other thing. And so when you start getting into horror, you can start getting into problematic territory like pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Um, does anybody want to, does anybody want to add to that or riff off that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, at the core of every horror game, um, there is always going to be a central idea of you are being victimized as the players 
or you will always be, you know, with a lot of the World of Darkness um, or other games you play, the monster, quote unquote, then you are the victimizer. And mm-hmm. and it's that's where I think in in the games, I, I mean, I've been gaming, obviously, like I said, for a long time. And I used to be a very active con goer. And we all know the kinds of conversations that you can hear at cons. And the, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard, I ran my sword up there and then insert orifice. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, really? You guys are having this conversation. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think when you have that mentality of there is actively a victim and victimizer in a game, it ramps that ideology, that problematic ideology up to 10. A lot of people who, at least, and this is me speaking anecdotally, um, there are a lot of people out there, if you've played a decent amount of horror games, Call of Cthulhu, Vampire, whatever, insert your horror game, that there is some game where something happened that you're like, it wasn't so much scary, but gross and uncomfortable and made you not like it so much. Dude, amen to that. Amen to that. Um, Richard, Ashley, uh, do you have thoughts you can <clears throat> to contribute? Yeah, um, actually, I was I was talking to uh, Daryl about that today's friend of the show, Daryl, um, and he brought up a really good point that I'm like I didn't think about that, but there are types of GMs who kind of gravitate toward horror gaming, and um, not necessarily for the right reasons. Like there are there are the good ones, obviously, but there are the types of GMs who like to take the access to the boundaries that they have of their players and kind of weaponize it against them. So it's one thing to make someone feel fear and to play with that fear. It's another thing to go into a like triggering territory for someone. So um, it's, it's a matter of knowing your players. And so it's, if you look at it from, I'm coming from a different perspective than you are probably because Generally speaking, this is a big generalization. So if everyone's mad at me for this, tell me about it. That's fine. But um, with men versus women, we're afraid of different things. You know, like for me, when I was getting into a campaign with horror gaming and we were going over like, what are your hard lines of I don't want this in the game? And I'm like, hey, I'm not a big fan of sexual assault. Like if we could just maybe not put that in the game. And they're like, yeah, no, that's just part of the game. That's going to happen. So it's like when you're immediately wait, saying, wait, wait. so 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 you were you were saying I I don't want there to be sexual assault in the game, and they were like, oh no, there's going to be sexual assault. Yes, that had the oh was that recently? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this part of your Call of Cthulhu game? No, it was not. Oh, this is a different game. Different game, yeah. This okay, is a different okay. game, yeah. But okay. um, to me, I'm just kind of like, well that immediately puts my hackles up because that is very triggering for me. That's something that is not just a fun kind of fear for me. This isn't like a, okay. And you like, I get creepy and I like creepy like call of Cthulhu. Just that experience was one of the best gaming experiences I've had in a really long time. But when you're pushing it into actual, like, okay, this is not fun anymore territory. It's it's just a matter of knowing your table. And also, as a player, knowing the table that you're getting into. Because for me, if someone was like, no, straight up, there's going to be sexual assault, I'm going to tap out. Like, I'm not going to be in that game. 
You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, that then at that point, there's an element of consent, right? Because yes. you're saying you're, you're either you're either sitting at the table and saying, "Well, I know what's coming, and I consent to participate," or you're saying, mm-hmm. "Like, I don't give my consent, and I remove myself because everybody else here is consenting to to be part of it," right? And that, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that 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 is fair. That is fair. Did you end up playing in the um in the game where they were like, "Nope, there's going to be like hard. There's going to be there's going to be sexual assault." Did you end up playing, or did you end up uh? Uh, tapping out um i did we talked about it and it has not come up so it was it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction from one of the other players i think more so than the actual gm oh that's weird man that's this is, i feel like that's a whole episode anyway um yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> richard what what uh what, what, what any opening thoughts any opening salvos so i mean there's so much yeah, to unpack, unpack so um i think you know horror comes from making basically you're right exploiting people's fears and 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 those lines they're built that we build up around ourselves to insulate ourselves from the world because if you start thinking about the world too hard it gets real you know you start knowing about things and it gets real you know it starts to drag you down and it starts to like you can't it, you know there there are certain things that you kind of put walls up against and it horror it likes to bring those things and use those as tools to tell stories and people can certainly weaponize those things like we were talking like uh we we're talking about but i think like i i've played I played a game of uh, Ten Candles, which I still argue is one of the best experiences I've ever had, and not not the most fun game to play, but it it's so we were all collectively telling this horrible story about the apocalypse, and people were dying at the table, and like. I've, it's been the thing that it's the game that affected me the most. Like I literally had to go home and Mm -hmm. hug my wife afterwards. Like that's how much I was affected by that story. And, but there was no sexual assault. There was not, there was hardly, I don't think there was even there, there was gore, but it wasn't like there, it was just like the, the darkness was coming and people were dying from this darkness coming, uh, the, the, the monsters in the darkness and the story we were putting it together and i had a very you know i had a significant other the character has significant other in and we were trying to find them and we found them and then they died in my arms like it, there there is this horror that is the real world that you can bring to the table that is not exploitative mm-hmm. or at least yeah. i didn't think it was i mean but, i think that, uh, that you, know. you know i think that that's the kind of horror that we should be trying to do Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's hard. I think it's harder to do that kind of horror. And I think that you, we should always be like trying, you know, but we also have to be kind of like unpacking some of the bullshit that we like carry around with us. You know what I'm saying? Because to, to me personally, when you start, when you sit down and you start writing a horror game, you'll, um, start seeing pretty quickly where your biases lie. You know what I'm saying? If you ever wanna, if you ever wanna like think to yourself like, oh hey, what kind of like weird, like weird thoughts do I have about like other people, right? Like, um, you know, start writing a horror game, um, like, uh, because you have to come up with antagonists, right? 
I mean, have any of us, like, here, this is just a classic example. This is something kind of like, uh, you see in, like, Lovecraft a lot, right? Which is the, um, the, uh, the cult that is from, like, a, um, uh, underdeveloped country or a developing country, right? You know, you have the, like, the, 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 and they're, and they're kind of, there's this, this, there's the patina of savagery is being kind of, like, shellacked onto, the religious expressions of people. And then those, the behaviors are being like inextricably connected to some kind of like magic or connection to an other world or connection to a God or demigod or creature or something. Right. And that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of stuff is, um, pretty, uh, those, those are like interesting stories that are kind of about fish out of water, you know, but they're also like, egregiously racist does that make sense mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean like hp lovecraft craft was afraid of mm-hmm. pretty much everything and and you know uh, and, and so but somehow like yes you you kind of realize how racist those stories are but somehow they also people seem to be able mm-hmm. to transcend that writing seems to be able to transcend that idea, the, the racist, I mean, that's sexist my, That's my question, ideas. though. Does it? Does it transcend that? And I, I want to hear from everybody, too. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. don't want to be, like, be bully, bully sessioning this. So, like, yeah. please, please feel free, guys. Jump in. Don't wait for me to say anything. But does, does it transcend those archetypes? Or does it kind of feed into them, you know? Um, I would say that it... No, it transcends because it's it's so old, and I'm not going to pull the cliche. Oh, he was just a writer of the times. That I mean, mm. there is a little bit of that, but the 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 beauty of the Lovecraftian stuff is because it was so open licensed that there is so much more stuff that was built upon it by other writers that made it far more nuanced and more modernized. That I think, and especially because all the Lovecraft stuff was directly so small, you know, you it, it's a lot easier to palate um, when, or to you know, to take in when it's oh, well, I'm reading a short story that's 15 pages long. You know, like one of my favorite stories of his is Beyond the Wall of Sleep, um, which is one of the most classist ones where he's referring, you know, he's a white guy. But he's so elitist that he's referring to the denizens of the deep Adirondacks who are also described as white people as a bunch of subhuman mongrels throughout the whole story. Because, oh, well, there are these low-bred people, not like me, an English gentleman, because that's how he viewed himself. Um, Mm. That it doesn't become this overarching thing that, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just used the term subhuman in one of his novels. Or, well, stories. I shouldn't say novels. Um that it really doesn't become such a big factor because it's such a small thing to bring in. Whereas if you bring up some of the Brian Lumley stuff that was based on the Cthulhu stuff, you know, Cthulhu mythos, it's, I mean, you don't have any of that inherent racism or, well, you have some sexism because Brian Lumley, let's face it, he's a very pulpy writer. Um, But it's not as pervasive you know what i'm saying it's it it doesn't dominate the story quite as much as some of lovecraft's choice in words so i think it's a lot easier to get past the lovecraftian stuff because there's so much more reference material out there that even though he's kind of the founder of the genre it doesn't define the whole genre as is what do you think do you guys agree with that richard ashley 
Yeah, I mean, like, well, with Lovecraft, he definitely put the phobia in, like, xenophobia. He was afraid of it, literally. Like, it's not just a, you can't say you're afraid of it just because you don't like it, but he just, it permeated everything that he did. Um, But I think that, to Adam's point, the more that's coming out, it's, it's making it better. Because, and I've said this before on multiple episodes, that we, this, this playground he's given us, we've been able to take and kind of live in and play in and acknowledge that he yes he gave this to us but he was also a shitbag of a human so um but evil hat i think is the one that did was it fate of cthulhu is that the one who put them up and yeah. with them they had talked about like they acknowledged it and they re-examined it and they made sure to highlight the writers of color who came into the reimagining of it and so I feel like they did a really good job of that, like saying, you know, yes, we're taking this kind of world that was built, but we're going to make it better. And this is how we're doing it and making sure that they're highlighting the people who may have been um, kind of left out of it originally back when it was originally created. Like they said, we literally don't want your money. If you don't agree with this, then we literally don't want your money. And I was like, that's hell yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a super bold statement for a game yeah. company to come out and say, and, and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the more you put out there that you can build on it, mm-hmm. the more it kind of dilutes his individual contribution. Yeah. And again, yeah. his, his contributions were such in such tiny snippets that it's easy that, Oh, okay. I can read this and go, yeah, he's a shit bag, but look at all this other cool stuff that it spawned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally spawned. <laughs> I, I I'm glad but you, I'm glad you got that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that like like you look at more recent horror stuff like get out. Yeah, yeah. Right? Great. And and, and the the bad guys are basically, you know, they're explicitly you know, they're they're implicitly racist, right? The the whole the whole point that is the hor- the existential horror of racism. Well, yeah. And I mean it's I think- uh it's a it's a allegory, right, where um appropriation becomes literal. It becomes like completely, completely literal, where black lives are literally appropriated for white people's use. Mm-hmm. And, and so like I think that you know, I think th- this is the kind of work that can make horror gaming, uh, redeem horror gaming because there's a lot of terrible tropes in all of gaming that get repeated over and over again. But horror, horror game def- gaming definitely has that in spades. So, well, so I, I think the thing that we're, we keep coming back on, and correct me if I'm wrong, is again, it comes down to. You know, there again. There's always going to be the victim and victimizer, and that's where the source of the bad, the the bad views on horror gaming comes from. And I think that you know, if if you have a game where you're playing, where you know, there's two types of horror games that are really successful. There's horror where it's it's a slasher horror, um, like Monster of the Week is kind of one that I throw in that, where the fear isn't necessarily like, oh, look at this eldritch horror, or look at the things that's driving me to do. It's it's the stress of the speed of the game, and that's where you get the fear built in, where it's like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. But, you know, games that are more nuanced, like Vampire, I mean, they're a great great games of vampire that we've played like in the wrecking crew or other white wolf games where i mean it's it's the transformative emotional 
victimization that happens and it's not really anything necessarily happening my brother ran uh when uh changeling lost uh first came out i mean i gotta tell you i i had to tap out of that game um because he ran us through a full durance um where the idea was that we were all mental patients and it turned out that the asylum that our family shipped us off to, it was on the other side of the hedge. So the guy running the asylum was the gentry, and he had driven us insane. And I was playing this character that was into, I had a surgical addiction, like an old school surgical addiction. So I had just ravaged my body trying to find this thing that I perceived as wrong in myself. Well, once we got through our endurance and then got to where we we're actual changelings on the other side of the hedge our our uh, insanity had gone away at that point. That was the whole theme of the game. So you have these people that they wrecked their lives essentially and realized it was all just an illusion. And man, it was a really, I really struggled with the notions of, you know, my character put himself through all this self-harm for years and it was all just some monster playing with me the entire time. And it it really, like, there was a lot of deep conversations with my brother, like, man, this game, like, literally is emotionally tearing me up. It's a hard, like, the, the horror for me is showing up to the game every because it's like, fuck, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You know, that's really interesting you put it like that, because um, as, as a horror GM, you know, I've gone through my life, I've run a lot of horror games, I've definitely experienced those games that are, like, that are just, I mean... There's a there's a huge emotional buy-in, mm-hmm. and and the uh, kind of resonance of what happens in the game actually carries on into your life outside of the game, right? Mm-hmm. But and, and I've heard other horror GMs talk about it, but I guess I just always assumed that there that that wasn't like um, unique to horror gaming. Uh, I always assumed that people were out there running these like really great D and D games that were also affecting their lives and stuff. Uh, do you think that there's something about the vulnerability mm-hmm. of horror gaming that yeah. um, makes it so you're able to like open up your chest and experience this this vulnerability that almost has like a cathartic expression in terms of being at the table? I do. And I, vulnerability actually was the word I was thinking of when I was trying to figure out how to vocalize what it was that I was thinking. Because um, when you're getting, they call it a deep, dark fear, like for a reason, you know what I mean? It's really deep down in there. So if you can use gaming as a way to kind of explore that in the right way, I think that that can be really cathartic and help you work through things. So um, it really depends on the GM and how they handle it though. I mean, there are good GMs that it's all about communication. You have to communicate beforehand, during, maybe even after. It's like, well, honestly, it, <laughs> it reminds me of like a Dom in the BDSM community, you know, like there's communication that goes into it and there's a right way to do it. And there is a wrong way to do it because of the vulnerability that's there and the way that that can affect other areas of your life. So, um, it goes back to some do it for the wrong reasons and some are doing it to help you have fun or explore things or really do some self work, you know? Sure. And I don't want to somehow kind of like infer that like, uh, you know, I, I think, I think that there's, uh, there is a kind of like, uh, 
um, mass subconscious journey that we can all go through when we are playing with horror tropes. And that is one of the things that makes horror tropes very powerful and why I find it personally very kind of like uh, disheartening when these tropes get kind of like, you know, birthed into the world as essentially like, uh, you know, racist crap or sexist garbage or classist bullshit, you know. Um, but at the same time, it is supposed to be fun. It's like not, it doesn't always have to be like, you know, deep shadow work or anything, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, like it it is, and I'm sure that there's plenty of completely kind of like vapid, like gore drenched games that don't have anything deep or impactful in them. Um, but I do think that, uh, that, that horror does have this potential to, to be impactful. And because we've already kind of talked about the, um, the vulnerability, the, the voluntary vulnerability and the ability to consent or not consent. I think that kind of, we, we all in our introduction talked about essentially like how this can go wrong at the table by just being exposed to the wrong people. Right. Um, I, I, I don't think that there's a horror GM out there who isn't a little bit of a grotesque just as a person, you know, I mean, we're all kind of like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just me, but I'm like the kind of kid who like would like chew with his mouth open at the dinner table to watch my mom's like, like look of revulsion on her face. That kind of, you know, there's something, I guess something out of that when people Mm -hmm. are repelled by the description, but at the same time, it is supposed to be within a context of, like, mutual fun. If I ever thought that I was, like, literally hurting someone and they, like, went home and cried and, like, thought about giving up role-playing or something because of something I said at the table, I'd be very upset. Does that all make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, totally. And, and like, in my example with that game, I mean, uh, uh, my brother felt really bad that he was bringing that up. And I said, no, like... Dude, I'm gonna keep going until I can't go anymore. But because it's it's a powerful yeah. emotional experience that I want to feel, you know, um, yeah. and that's why I get into it. And if I hit a point where a boundary is being hit for me, then like, dude, I'm gonna tell you, like, hey, I I can't do it anymore. But he felt really bad, kind of putting me in a situation where he felt like he was essentially victimizing me. And it's like, nah, dude, you know, I'm I'm in it to win it, and. And that's that. But if there comes a point when I'm not, I'm going to tell you that. And I don't want you to feel bad about it because I, I willingly put myself into that. But he wasn't getting off on the notion of like getting that revulsion out of somebody. And, you know, some people do, some people don't. I mean, it's kind of like getting on a roller coaster. You're, you're doing it because it's it's fast and it's scary and it's loud. And mm-hmm. but you know, you may also hurl on it. So it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the risk you take, you know, and, and it's, if it is a bad experience, you, you know that, Hey, maybe I should be a little bit more caution in the next time I join up on one of these, you know? Sure. Sure. Richard, what were you thinking, man? Oh, I was thinking about like, I think we, we kind of had a running joke that Adam and your, especially Adam, like every game ends up being a horror game for Adam. Like he uh, sink, you know, even though we're running like a fantasy game or whatever, like it ends up being a horror game and that's just the way it's just the way he runs. But like, it's that 
re- you're looking for a reaction to what you're saying. And that's a, that's a very attentive, that's a good GM habit is to be attentive mm-hmm. to what people are doing. And you can take that uh, a lot of places. But I find that at least, you know, one of the reasons I think that a lot of people like, you know, get a little wackety schmackety as as Brendan is wont to say, uh, is that like build up of tension and then there needs to be a release. Or otherwise, they're just there's this like cracking that you can use if you can get to that point where you can push them beyond that. There's like a, an amazing, amazing emotional reaction, but sometimes it's just like tension, 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 and then a, a release of emotions in in you know bringing it down a little bit, and so you can bring go up the roller coaster at, uh, analogy. Well, I mean, it's really interesting, because in preparing for this episode, I kind of was going through my head, and I was thinking to myself, man, this episode is going to be like a real bummer, because if you look at the past few years, and kind of like the way things have gone with like, you know, the role-playing world, and cancel culture, and fucking, you know, problematic elements in the gaming community, uh, the, the horror community has not has not showed up very well. You know, um, there's been a lot of kind of like, there's this whole notion of like the Swedish edgelord and mm. like edgelordism, you know, which to be totally honest, I'm still not entirely certain if I know what it is, but um, it's one of those, it's one of those kind of amorphous ideas that seems to take on the shape that the person who's using the term wants it to have. But that's just me. That's just me. I'm not, I'm not trying to defend edgelordism because I think we've all met them and we, I don't think you like it when you meet them. It's one of those things like art, you know, when you see it. But uh, I was I was coming onto this show and I was like, man, this is gonna really suck because I feel like like RPG horror is like my life's work. It's like the only thing I've ever done that I really like or that I feel like I'm good at. You know, if I could if I could spend all day doing horror RPGs, I would. But I I also feel like it's just intensely problematic and that it has been for years and years because I mean, Call of Cthulhu like has all this racist bullshit built into it, and it's only just now that they're really trying to get away from it. And it kind of attracts an audience that can be kind of very like, mm-hmm. oh, well, in the 1920s, they would have used this word. So I'm going to use it at the table. And you're just like, oh, God, why? You know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, in the 90s, all those the, you know vampire books and the White Wolf books were, at the time, we thought we were playing these really kind of like, you know, on the edge, very kind of like, you know, open, forward-thinking game in the teens, early 20s. And uh, uh, we're doing it all over again with the Swedish edgelord kind of movement. And I, and I really came into this feeling like, like kind of bleak. I was like, man, this sucks. I end up being the banner bearer for this, like, terrible cause. But from what I'm hearing from the conversation is, is, is that, you know, can horror role-playing be redeemed? And the answer is very much yes, because it has these these great stories that come out of it and that when the medium is properly used, it, uh, it has this potential that like just really surpasses the form of the genre. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it comes down to, you know, I think you're right. I mean, part of horror is trying to get a reaction out of somebody and the best time you're going to get a good reaction out of somebody is when you hit them something that they're really not expecting and you don't go for the easy schlock. The easy schlock with the racist or the sexist or, you know, um, the the sexual assault aspect. Like, those are things that that's, – that's such an easy go-to to get a reaction of revulsion or fear or disdain from somebody from that it – I don't know. It, it's – 
it's so cheap to go that route. And that's, I think, where, again, that that bad vibe with horror games comes from. You know, like, I mean, Ashley, you you were completely turned off on that game initially when they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is just part of it. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the easy go to. They went for that. That person went for the easy grab, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not it was a player or the GM. And ultimately, it turned out to be a good experience because the game wasn't going for the easy grab. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I said, it was a knee jerk reaction from one of the other players. It was kind of like, I know this is it's just part of the game. And then it ended up not coming up anyway. So, yeah. So so they still got the reaction out of you, but they didn't have to go for the easy one. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that reminds me of during the um, episode. Sorry, Adam, I didn't mean to cut you off. We'll come back. No, no, you're, you're good. You're good. Um, when Brendan, you were talking about orcs and you're just like, that's just lazy. Like that shouldn't even be a thing you do. And it's, it brings it back to that for me. Like there are other ways you can really get under people's skin and you can really creep them out and really go for the, that fear element, like that deep fear element without going for one of these, you know, kind of cheap buttons as Adam kind of put it. I mean, let me ask you guys something really quick. Like, uh, so um, we all saw the the Brendan Fraser movie, The Mummy, right? That was a good time back in mm-hmm. the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, say I want to do, like, a horror game, and I want to have a mummy be the antagonist, and I want the uh, – I, I, I kind of want to pick up on some of those vibes. Like, I want, like, desert vistas, and I want, like, um, like, a, like an ancient cult that's been passing down secrets from generation to generation – and at the center of it, I want, like, a big, like, Middle Eastern guy who's going to blow up the world if he doesn't get his way, right? Like, um, like is, this, is, this, is, this in- is this inherently problematic? I mean, like, I don't, I don't think, like, I don't know if Egyptian people are upset about the Mummy movies or upset about Emotep. I think that there's, like, a brand new book that just came out for D&D or something that has stats for a character called Emotep, right? Like, mm-hmm. um we've kind of amalgamated that idea of um, like, uh, oh, well, mummies are safe. Mummies are this kind of like cultural thing that we can kind of, you know, it's okay to fear the other when it looks like that. But um, I don't think you could do that with necessarily any culture, right? I think it might come across a little weird if you tried to translate that story into something else. are we are are the mummy stories that we're telling today? Are we gonna like regret them in like ten years? And we're kind of like, oh, it's just smacks of Orientalism and exoticism, and it's full of colonial bullshit. I mean, really, like if you think about it, a mummy story is gonna be full of colonialism, right? It's gonna be <laughs> chock full of these ideas. You know, are these like safe, fun ideas that we can play with, or are these like inherently racist classes structures that that uh, should best be left at the table, right? So go ahead, play with that for a minute. I think what that comes down to is anytime you you boil or you reduce a culture to uh, a trope of some sort, I think that that's going to be problematic. Now, as far as knowing what's going to be problematic in 10 years we don't necessarily know that. So it's that whole, when you know better, do better, be better kind of thing. So um, when it, when it comes out, then you can be better at that time. But I don't think, I think we should listen to the voices of the people who are being represented, whether it's positively or negatively. Um, So it's just a, a matter of like, do the research and really try and represent them in a good, 
like in, in a truthful way, you know, instead of just reducing it to a trope that you've seen in, you know, movies like the mm. Universal Monster movies and things mm. like that. But listen to their voices. Let them be the one to tell you. I like your call for genuine creativity rather than just regurgitating something you saw in a yes. movie, which ends up being like way too much of role playing in yeah. just in general. Many tables that I've sat down at have turned into like, oh, this is an episode of The Shield. Um, <laughs> somebody, somebody else go. Somebody else go. I want to hear your thoughts. All right. Um, so I think that Ashley is completely correct. I think going ahead and doing some research on what the, 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 the temperature of the mummy idea is in, you know, in the culture, uh, uh, the, the actual culture that the idea of uh, mummification comes from. I mean, there's lots mm-hmm. of cultures that had mummification, uh, but the Egyptian culture is what we think of. Uh, the, yeah, because so it's like I, I like, think looking into that. I want to do a and, game that's got like a Sala type character, and there's going to be guys with fezes, and there's going to be like a uh, an Overland like fucking like chase scene with a Rolls Royce Phantom Two and a camel and those little machine guns that they had. And there's also going to be a mummy. Like, am I a, am I fucking with racist shit here? You know. I think as long as you, I think you need to represent another part of the culture in there in some way, but obviously you need to do, I think this is one of those places where, yes, it can be very problematic. And I think we should absolutely do more research and find uh, some way of maybe the characters, because typically in these mummy stories, the main, the protagonists tend to be white colonial characters. people like and then they're 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 saving the day from finding this evil thing that's evil because it's from an you know where if maybe the player characters are from the culture and that you know that you have rooted the you know rooted them in the culture so that they're the ones dealing with the you know maybe i'm sure someone has written a book about like uh you know egypt now and then at some point that might be really interesting to read that that actually sounds like an amazing read, but like, hmm. I was like, if you find that, let me know. Cause I would totally yeah. read that. And, and uh, I, I think it's about like not representing just the stereotypes in, in any story Do, like going beyond that, learning, learning about them, letting, you know, maybe finding someone, you know, finding, finding a way to, uh, well, you can't just a- ask. You have to find, because uh, that's also like there's a lot of like if you go ask an Egyptian, that's sort of like asking permission for your racism. So like you've got to do, you know, right, right. Um, so that's to me, that's the way to go about it. If you really feel strongly about it, just try to make it not one dimensional and try to make your characters not completely get, get the players to play something that is not just the most stereotypical white man with a gun, uh, sort of thing to really flesh out the setting and make it more interesting and less lazy and less racist. I'm here on behalf of the museum a white person institution that takes place in an <laughs> island somewhere far away. And I'm here to bring civilization to you, savages. Now show me to the ruins. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's I always like a British museum too. It's always yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Of course. That's where the museums are. They're yes. on that time. <laughs> All right. Uh, Adam, what are your thoughts, man? Uh, inherently racist. Uh, no. Inherently a horror game. Uh, not necessarily. Um, I mean, Rolls Royce chases and machine gun sounds almost like an action movie. Like those mummy movies. They're not horror movies. Let's face it. They're action. They're action adventure movies. Um, sure. sure. So I, I think, um, I mean, yeah, if you go for the easy grab and if at any point you're calling people, you know, the, the savages or, you know, you have any of any, uh, quote unquote, those people moments, uh, in your game, that's where you start to really run into problems. Um, I think a game like that could be perfectly fine if you told your players, hey, look, we're going to... Adam, Adam, return to us. I summon Adam. <laughs> Maybe we have to say it three times and look in a mirror and <laughs> oh, throw shit. water on it. Uh, I got a mirror yeah. right here. Yeah, Candyman. <laughs> Candyman is actually a really great example of a, of a not racist movie about... Um, about uh, uh, racial the racial divide in America. It's fucking brilliant. Mm. Everybody should watch it. Uh, Adam, you coming back, buddy? We can't hear you, pal. Bud? Yep, I'm I'm here. My computer decided to spontaneously restart thanks to my uh, oh, no. company's IT. Fun time. Okay. I was talking, and then my computer went restarting. No. Oh, no. my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. So do you remember where you were? I do. Um, Go for so, it. I mean... I, I think if you have any of those quote unquote those people moments, um, yeah, you're in trouble. Um, if if you want to have a fleshed out game, uh, particularly a horror game, uh, I think you need to know exactly where if you're going to have a game that's tension through sequence of action. So the the tension and the fear the players feel is through just how rapidly the hits are coming and how quickly they have to react. Um, if you want to have a nuanced game where there might be a real emotional experience, uh, my guy, my idea, this is a pro tip that we gave on uh, podcast of reckoning, which you can catch on any of the other, uh, podcasting uh, networks you go for. Sorry. Shameless plug. Um, <laughs> go for it. um, Josh, my brother came up with, if you're going to game in an area, the best way to educate yourself, especially like modern times, go to any bookstore and buy one of the travel guides that's out there. It will tell you all the little nuances of local culture, enough to make you seem like you actually have a functioning knowledge. And that way you can present novel information that's accurate to your player characters, and it doesn't seem like it's a shtick. It will give you the layout of the land, local landmarks, all that stuff. And then you give a genuine game that the players, you'll kind of disarm them and go, oh, okay, this is a living, breathing place that we are. It's not sticky. It's not, you know, imperialist white man coming to be the great white savior. And then you can hit him with the horror from there. But, I mean, yeah, it comes down to just, and, and that's with any cultural stuff you're going to do in any game. I mean, you really just have to, you have to educate yourself and not just go off uh, stereotypes and assumptions, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, does anybody have any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? I think mainly it just comes down to communication. Like GM, make sure you're communicating with your players. Players communicate with each other and the GM and just know each other's limits and and play with them and don't just plow into them. You know, everyone has different levels of what they're okay with. So 
but it should be fun. Uh, absolutely. The, po- the, I think the post game on horror post game conversation uh, in horror is mm-hmm. like, I would say really, really important. If, like number one safety tool for horror games is, I mean, I, I think the X card is, is it has its issues, but I think it'd be, it's, it's really great to have uh safety, safety yes. tools involved all, you know, lines and veils and, and uh, conversations afterwards about what went on and what, if anybody feels mm-hmm. uh, problematic, uh, things have gone on. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, did you have a chance to say something, Adam? Did I, did I cut you off? Um, no, you're good. My uh, closing thought is the question is not, is horror gaming redeemable? It's whether you are as a GM, if you're going to run one. Ooh. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good. I like that. I like that. Well, you know, I feel like my question has been answered largely. And so, um, you know, I mean, this just kind of comes with the thing that we say at the end of a lot of RPG episodes, which is, you know, kind of what Ashley was saying, which is like, yo, you know, do the work, don't be a piece of shit, like, have some strong intentionality, be be creative and communicative, you know, be open to other people's ideas and perspectives. Um, yeah, that's just, you know, that's that's the Fulmin RPG way. It's the Fulmin yeah. RPG way, guys. Yeah. Yeah, so just take, <laughs> take that to your tables, guys. Take that full metal RPG spirit to your tables, and then grow them out. But I feel really, I feel real happy because I feel like that we made a strong case for uh, for horror role playing here today. It makes me happy. Uh, makes me want to do some horror role playing. So uh, everybody out there, go do some role playing, do some horror role playing, build some community, tell some great stories with your friends. Uh, Richard, Ashley, Adam. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate all of you. Thank you. Appreciate you too, Brendan. Thank you. Oh, do too much. Aww. And thank you to all the patrons on Patreon. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Fuck the police. <laughs> <laughs>